Charles Schultz is the guy who wrote the uh, Peanuts comic strips, and he often would manage to wrap in bits of truth into his humor. For example, there's one comic where um, it's like a typical Saturday morning, and Lucy and Linus, brother and sister, Lucy being the older sister and Linus being the brother, uh, they're sitting in front of the TV watching TV when Lucy, being bossy, says to Linus, go and get me a glass of water. Linus looks surprised. We're not sure why, because if you read the comic strips, you know that's how she treated him. But he looks surprised, and he says, why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. And Lucy promises, on your 75th birthday, I will bake you a cake. Linus gets up, and he heads to the kitchen, and he says, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. You know, Linus is right. Life is much more pleasant when we have something to look forward to. We can live without many things, can't we? We can live 70 days without food, some people, up to 10 days without water, up to six hour, minutes, six minutes without air. But there's one thing, if it's absent, that without which we cannot live very long, and that's something to look forward to. And that's what we call hope. People can live with many things, without many things, including love, but no one will last very long if they don't have hope. There's a famous story by a guy named James Stewart, and it's the story of a painting. It's a painting in which the main character named Faust is playing chess with the devil, and the stakes are his soul. In the picture, we see Faust looking at the table, and he has a very sad, despairing look on his face because he only has a few pieces left on the chessboard. The devil, on the other hand, has a very gleeful look on his face because he knows he has Faust right where he wants him. In Stuart's story, throughout the years, people come into the gallery where this picture is hung and they look at it. And they see the hopelessness of the situation. And they go away feeling to some degree that that painting describes their own situation. But then one day, the story says, a, a gallery into the gallery walks a, a great chess master. And he stands in front of that painting and he stares at it observing it, looking for, for clues if there are any moves left possible. And finally, with a shout, he says, It's a lie. The king and the knight still have moves left. I think this is what Easter is, is kind of like for us. Just like Faust in the story, we can stand back and, and look at our civilization, look at our world, and, and see things are pretty pessimistic. Things seem to be going from bad to worse. Or we step back and we look at our own lives and we, we think we're kind of boxed in, cornered in a rut. We, and there's no way out of this job or this situation or this relationship. And we feel like we're checkmated. But the good news of Easter is that Jesus of Nazareth, whom God raised up from the dead, stands and looks at our world and looks at our lives and says, It's a lie. You still have moves left. There is hope. You know, Easter is a word of hope. It's a word with future in it. That life is not a dead-end street and that life is not a no-exit situation. Easter points us to the future of God's creation and not our own. There is in the very word of Easter a, a word of presence. He is risen becomes He is here and He is present. And so this morning, as we look at this passage from Matthew 28, we're going to look at the announcement of Easter, and then we're going to see 
as we look at our lives, what are the moves that we have left to make? Before we do that, let's pray, though. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask simply that your Holy Spirit and your word would intersect in our lives, that regardless of our situation, that you would speak a word of truth to us, of relevance to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us willing spirits and hearts and minds to respond to your truth and to move closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are the moves that the risen Christ on that first Easter Sunday morning make available to us in our world and in our lives? If you're, still not, if you're not there still, turn with me again to Matthew 28, the passage that Pastor Mark read. And we're going to work our way through those ten verses and look at the moves that we have uh, after Easter. Chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Some Bibles uh, translate this phrase, fear not. You know, in this world, there are a lot of things to be afraid of. We look around, a lot of bad things happen, and, and unfortunately, there's a lot of bad people. Things that we're afraid of are things like violent crime or terminal disease. Some of us are afraid of flying. Some of us are afraid of heights. Most of us are afraid of failing. Many of us are afraid of ending up alone or afraid of the future. Some of us are afraid of taking risks, of changing careers or ending a bad relationship. Almost all of us are afraid of death. But the angel said, fear not. You know how many times in the Bible it says, fear not or do not be afraid? 366 times. One time for each day of the week, including, like this year, leap day. I don't think that's an accident. You see, God does not want us to live our lives filled with fear, governed by fear. He doesn't want terror to cripple us. He wants us to fear not. And I think the first words the angel spoke to the two Marys on that first Easter were not only for them, but for us. Do not be afraid. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. I've never seen an angel, and the angel the two Marys encounter was quite the sight. The scripture says that he looked like lightning. I'm not sure what that means, but it gives us the sense that he was glowing, very brightly giving off some sort of energy or electricity almost. And that'd be enough to scare just about anybody, and it did the Roman guards. It says they fell to the ground and looked like they were dead. But the angel said to the Marys, do not be afraid. Why were they not to be afraid? Look at the rest of verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. The first move that we have after the resurrection is the move from fear to faith. God says this to us in Isaiah 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. The power of the resurrection means that we no longer have to be afraid because God is with us. 
God has defeated death and Satan and sin through his son's resurrection. And because of that, we know that Jesus is alive and he's present with us no matter where we go or what we're doing. In the words of Romans 8, If God be for us, who is against us? Who will bring any charge against us? Who can condemn us? At the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus answers these questions from Romans 8 with an emphatic, no one and no thing. Because of the resurrection, fear does not need to control us or shape us or steal our joy. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a move available to us. We can move from fear and we can move to faith. Let's continue our walk through Matthew 28. Again, picking up at verse 5 and going a little bit farther. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Immediately after asking the Marys to move from fear to faith, what does the angel ask of them next? He asks them to go. To go, not when it's convenient, not after they had a chance to catch their breath, not after the, the empty tomb has really soaked in and they've gathered it all. They're told to go, to go quickly. And the message they are to deliver is that the tomb is empty and that Jesus the Christ is raised from the dead. You know, many people, maybe you're one of them, can feel backed into a corner in which they feel as if their life really doesn't count for much. That it's the same old, same old, and it's never going to change. They wonder, begin to wonder like King Solomon did in the book of, of Ecclesiastes or the, the rock group Kansas did in the 70s. If all we are is simply dust blowing in the wind, if all we are is just something here today and then gone tomorrow and nobody will ever remember that we were even in this world. What's the point? People might ask. Well, on that very first Easter morning at the empty tomb, Jesus said, your lives do matter. You have significance. You have meaning. Your lives have purpose. So the second move we have available to us because of Easter is we can move from purposelessness to purposefulness. After Jesus beats death, he gives us a new purpose, a new mission, and that is simply to go and to tell others that he is alive, that he's risen. And just to make sure we get the message, Jesus uses his last words on earth to say it one more time at the end of chapter 28, where he says, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a story in Reader's Digest that anybody with with children can relate to. It's a story about a boy named Jeff. He was 12 years old at the time, and he and a good friend of his were playing baseball. The baseball went foul and broke a neighbor's window. They looked around to see if anybody had saw, seen what they had done, and the only person around was Jeff's little brother. Jeff said to him, keep quiet about this, and I will give you some candy. The younger brother said, I, I don't want your candy. Jeff said, well, keep quiet, and I'll give you a new baseball. The younger brother said, I, I don't want your baseball either. Jeff said, how about my baseball and my new glove? The younger brother said, I, I don't want your glove either. Jeff was getting exasperated now, and he said, well, what do you want? 
The younger brother said, I want to tell on you. <laughs> you know, when we, hear the, when we hear the story of the resurrection and when we encounter the risen Christ, our first reaction, our first impulse should be to go and to tell. We, we aren't to be distracted or bought off by money or career advancement or activities or, or even relationships or anything else. Because of Easter, we are given a purpose. We're to live our lives on purpose to tell others of the risen Christ by pointing them to Him. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell His disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. <coughs> Excuse me. Greetings, He said. They came to Him, clasped His feet, and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell My brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Um, I was a history major in college, and so I, one of the things I liked about history was you could learn lessons um, from what had happened in the past. And, and often it, it hinged upon big decisions or, or, or kind of incredible stories. And one such story is the Battle of Waterloo. It was a deciding battle in about 1815 between the British and the French. And while the battle was raging, the, the British people, the English people, were waiting anxiously to hear the news of whether they had won or they had been defeated. And so they set a man high in England's Winchester Cathedral, looking and waiting for the signal as to whether or not his country had won the war. Well, as the lighted signal began to shine, fog began rolling through the countryside. The watchman read the signal, which said, England defeated. And so he signaled the news, the sad news, to the other watchmen, and so on and so forth, and it spread through the countryside, and all were devastated by the tragedy. A sense of despair and pessimism and hopelessness was everywhere. But then the fog lifted, and the watchman discovered the true signal. England defeated the enemy. But because of Easter, we can move from despair to hope because Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy. Jesus Christ has broken the power of Satan, He has broken the power of sin, and He has broken the power of death, and He is alive and He is risen, and He is in our midst this morning. And sometimes in our lives we can step back and in the fog of everything think, I've been defeated, God has been defeated, Jesus has been defeated. But on good, and, and that's how the disciples no doubt felt on that Good Friday when He hung on the cross and on the Saturday when He laid in the grave. Well, then Sunday morning came and the, the fog lifted and the sun came up and Jesus the Christ, the sun, rose from the dead and they saw the true message. Jesus defeated the enemy. The good news of Easter is that He's resurrected and He's alive and we can live in the awesome power of, of, of God's Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have hope not just for today, but for tomorrow. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, once said in New York in 1899, someday you will read in the papers that I am dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am today. That's the hope that we have. Not just for today, but for tomorrow. You know, life, as many might say, is not a game out of which none of us get out alive. Death will come to all of us, no doubt about that. 
but we are not backed into a corner. There are moves available to us. Satan has not checkmated us. We still have moves left because of what Jesus Christ did on the, in the empty tomb that first Easter morning. There's one more move. And that last move is probably the most important. It is the most important one for us personally. And that move is ours. The Apostle Paul speaks of grace in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me has not been in vain. The last move is because of Easter, we can move to a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. When Paul speaks of, by the grace of God, I am what I am, what is he talking about? What does he mean when he says, I am what I am? The Bible tells us that Paul is a child of God, Christ's brother, saved by the blood of Jesus, an heir of God, a changed man. Because of grace. That same grace is available to each one of us. You know, grace means receiving something from God that we do not deserve, something wonderful. Grace means that God treats us in a way we do not deserve. He accepts us even when we're unacceptable. Grace means God loving us unconditionally, even though there are many parts of our lives that are not lovable. Grace is God giving us good things, even though we don't deserve it. One way to think of it is through an acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. God's blessing, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's life, God's power, all the richness of God given to us, undeserving, at Christ's expense through His death on the cross and through His his victory over death when He came back to life from the grave. But it all begins with us. The ball is in our court And now it's our move. And our move simply is to open our eyes to His presence. Our move is to open our hearts to His grace. Our move is to open our minds to God's truth. Our move is in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our need. Our move is to come awake. To come awake to the reality of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. To come awake and to say yes Yes to Him. I do not know where you're at today, but I knew where, do know where Jesus is, and He is here, and He's present, and uh, He is waiting and available to any and all who want a personal relationship with Him. We want to know more about Him. We want to come awake spiritually in Him. I don't know where you're at. Perhaps today uh, you've made that commitment in the past, but you feel stuck and cornered in your life, and stale, and you're not growing, and you're frustrated. God doesn't seem real to you. But I do know that Jesus wants to help you come awake spiritually. Perhaps you um, have never made that commitment to Christ. Maybe you've had questions. You see somebody else in your life who has that, but you're not sure about it yet. Maybe you want to make that commitment today. Maybe you're not sure, but you just want to check things out. If either one of those scenarios describes you, you want to come awake spiritually and you've kind of fallen or you want to grow spiritually or learn more about Jesus, uh, when you came in today, you, hopefully you found on your chair something called Fresh Start Card. And I'm going to ask you, if you, want to, if, if you want to learn more about Christ, you want to grow in your relationship with Him, just indicate that on the card. 
Put your information down so we know how to contact you and we'll be in touch with you. We have some classes and have individuals who would be glad to have a conversation with you about what it means to come awake in Christ. We won't twist your arm. We won't pressure you. We simply want to have a, a conversation with you guided by God's Spirit and by His Word to, to kind of help you see whether or not uh, the truth of Christ is, is real for you. I found it true to be for myself, and I know many people here today have as well. So we do hope and encourage if you. If you have questions and you want to get a fresh start, please indicate that on the card and drop it uh, at the back when you leave. Take it to the Connection Center, the Welcome Center, or give it to myself or one of the pastors. We'd appreciate that. Let's bow in prayer now. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the move that Jesus Christ made on our behalf when he left heaven and moved to the cradle, that he moved from the cradle to the cross, from the cross to the tomb, from the tomb to, to be raised to new life. And now he's seated at your right hand, Father. We thank you as well that through uh, the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is present with us now, that he's constantly moving towards us, reaching out to us, knocking at the door of our heart, wanting us to experience the full joy and freedom and peace and love and grace that you have available for us. Lord, I pray for each person here, regardless of where they're at, uh, whether they need to come awake in Christ and they're kind of stuck, whether they've never made that commitment, maybe, maybe they just simply have questions, Father. I pray that your spirit would draw them so that they would move closer to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that we serve a risen Christ. We worship you and we lift ourselves up to your care. Help us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.